This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. You know, it is no longer a surprise to find out that a city is struggling to provide clean water for its citizens. That is true because of the Flint water crisis, which we have been using as the centerpiece of our WDET book club discussions this summer, talking about Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha's book, What the Eyes Don't See. But of course, it's not just Flint that is dealing with issues like this. Residents are having to line up in Newark, New Jersey to get bottles of water after testing revealed lead in the tap water there. And just like in Flint, health officials denied for over a year that lead was widespread throughout their water system. It's also happening in Pittsburgh, where lead levels for Pittsburgh Water and Sewer Authority remain higher than the federal action level of 15 parts per billion. We want to spend the rest of the program talking about other cities that are experiencing the same kinds of things that happen in Flint and what they're doing to combat those things. Also, what we need to be doing as a nation to deal with the access to clean water, the threat to the access of clean water. This is something that many, many communities are going to face. Of course, we want to hear from you during these segments as well. Give us a call and tell us what you feel about the idea that other cities are experiencing the same things that we saw happen right here in, in Michigan in the city of Flint. Uh, what do you think needs to be done from a national level to address these issues? And are you concerned or do you have trust in government? to fix these issues? Does this shake your faith in the idea that government can keep us safe with the water that flows through our taps? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. And we want to begin this conversation with Dimple Chowdhury, who is a senior attorney and managing litigator at the National Resources Defense Council. Dimple, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so you are advising on the NRDC and New York Newark Education Workers Caucus lawsuit against Newark, which was filed in early 2019. Can you tell us more about what that suit entails? Sure. The The case was filed last summer, actually, in 2018. We've okay. been monitoring the lead pro- problem in Newark for quite some time now and trying to work with the city and, and bring attention to this. Really, um, you know, the, the issues in Newark did not start recently, notwithstanding the you know increase in coverage and awareness of them. Back in 2016, Newark schools showed alarmingly high lead levels. Um, and in 2017, the drinking water throughout the water system showed um, elevated lead levels in exceedance of federal um, lead action levels. And those levels have just climbed since then. Um, most recently, for the, this year, the past monitoring period showed lead levels um, in excess of three times the federal limit. And so um, in the with that backdrop, um, NRDC and its partners um, in the community, including the New Caucus, which is a community group um, comprised of educators who work in Newark, um, in the schools, and live in Newark. Um, We filed a lawsuit last year asking that the city and the state start addressing the problem immediately, and that includes treating the water properly to control for lead release and getting out these lead pipes, which which is really the only long-term fix, as we saw in Flint. Yeah. Uh, So what happened in Flint 
was the result of a switch in the water source and the failure to use the proper chemicals to prevent uh, the, the the water from creating, you know, lead on the pipes from getting into the the supply. Uh, can you tell us a little more about what is causing the issues in Newark? I mean, I know that at, at bottom, this is all about lead pipes, right? Lead pipes that that uh, ferry water from uh, the pumps to to people's homes. But but what is going on in the Newark system that's preventing uh, the, the the kind of controls, I guess, that lower lead levels normally? Well, there's a lot we don't know about what's going on in Newark because, um, you know, the case is still relatively um, young in its, in its life. And so we're still um, pushing hard for additional information. But what we do know is that it seems to be a similar situation to Flint and that at the, the crux of the Newark crisis was a failure to treat the water properly. Um, there was a decision made um, at the treatment plant um, that may have led to uh, the corrosion inhibiting chemicals that typically prevent lead from releasing into drinking water to not be as effective as they should be. And um, again, there's a lot we don't know. There's some reports that suggest that those decisions happened around 2015. And so, you know, this um, increase in lead levels, this alarmingly high, um, you know, trend, upward trend in lead levels kind of began then and has continued. And so what is the current plan to fix this issue in in Newark? Are we talking about massive pipe replacement? And if so, who's going to be responsible for paying for that? So there again, lots of questions. The um, the mayor of Newark recently announced a pipe replacement program, a hundred and twenty million dollar bond provided by the county um, that would um, purportedly provide no cost replacements to residents in Newark. Um, that's really all we know about the proposal right now, and so there are a lot of unanswered questions, including you know what will the scope of the replacement be? How in fact will we guarantee that renters are covered? Because um, as we've again seen in Flint. It can be hard for to get landlords to participate in these programs. Um, we, you know, there are a lot of questions even about where these lead lines are. Um, Newark has doesn't have a comprehensive inventory of where its lead lines are located. Um, that is a violation of federal law and something we've been trying to address in our lawsuit as well. And so there's a there's a lot that remains unknown about the lead service line replacement program. But that's that's the long term fix. We also have a short term problem, mm-hmm. which is that right now EPA has told 14,000 residents in Newark that they. They cannot drink their tap water. Um, and so there are serious questions about, you know, whether people have sufficient access and ready access uh, to the bottled water they need um, to uh, to drink and to cook and, and to provide for their families every day right now. And that's certainly something that we're um, attempting to address through our case as well. And in another interview, you said that you see a pattern with the lead contamination crisis. Can you talk about what that pattern is? Well, I think what I see what I see is um, a pattern in that you know you have a decision, right? You have a decision um, or a series of events that. Um, it- leads to endangering an entire community. So here, you know, treatment decisions, um, some sort of uh, failure to treat the water properly or take care of the water properly. And then you see a health risk presented. Um, And in the case of Flint and both Newark, you see... um, clear evidence that the community recognizes, that other groups recognize. Um, And, 
we see the risk and we try to bring attention to it. And then you also have public officials who are um, denying that risk. And they are the ones who are meant to be protecting the community to ensuring that the laws are enforced properly, that safe drinking water is provided um, to to the families in their in their cities. Um, and they're and they're failing in doing that and they're falling down on the job. Um, and that pattern pattern is troublesome. It's why, you know, the heroic residents in Flint and here in Newark are really, um, you know, they are the ones who are fighting for the safe drinking water when it's really these ele- the elected officials that should be providing that for them. Hmm. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Dimple Chowdhury. She is a senior attorney and managing litigator at the National Resources National Resources Defense Council. Uh, we're talking about water crises that are unfolding in cities other than Flint. Of course, Flint here in Michigan is still struggling to make sure that everybody there has access to clean water. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think about this national dimension of the water crisis and how it ought to be addressed. Who should be responsible for addressing uh, the national water crisis that we're seeing crop up in cities around the country? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Um, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Um, before we get to phones and, and a quick break, uh, uh, Dimple, I want to have you talk about what's going on in Pittsburgh, which is yet another city that seems to have trouble with lead in the water. Yeah, Pittsburgh is in, I think, a slightly different position than you see um the case in in Newark. So, you know, Pittsburgh has had high lead levels in its drinking water since about 2016. Again, there was an an unauthorized treatment decision made to use a different chemical to try to control for lead release, one that ultimately was not effective. Um, And so Pittsburgh has since then been grappling with lead problems. Its initial response was problematic in that 2016 and 17 period. Um, It did not comply with the federal and state regulations that it needed to. But since then, um, it's really taken, I think, significant strides to improving its lead remediation program. Um, From 2018 through 2020, Pittsburgh plans to spend around $90 million in lead service line replacements. Um, They're doing their best to, I think, minimize some of the practices that can increase health risks while you pull out a lead pipe and replace service lines. And they also have a fairly robust filter program. And so while there's still a lot of work to do in Pittsburgh and their local groups. Um, We work with Pittsburgh United, which is a really a fantastic local group on the ground. While they are really, um, you know, at the forefront of this, you know, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh's uh, Water and Sewer Authority has taken significant steps and made significant progress since the onset of that crisis. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about water crises around the nation. And we'll be joined by an assistant professor of marketing at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan to give a different perspective about that national crisis. We're also going to keep Dimple Chowdhury, who's senior attorney and managing litigator at the National Resources Defense Council. Stay with us on Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, 
I'm really glad you joined us. We're talking about water crises that are unfolding, not just in Flint, Michigan, where we have been dealing with that for several years now, but in other cities around the nation, other cities that have lead service lines and pipes in their water system and are starting to see high lead levels show up in their residents. Newark, New Jersey uh, is dealing with a pretty substantial water crisis right now, one that looks a lot like what we saw in Flint just a few years ago. Uh, Pittsburgh is another city that is having some of these challenges. We want to hear from you what you think about this sort of spread of the idea of water crises in the wealthiest nation on the planet. Does this make any sense at all that we cannot make sure ensure that everybody has clean water running through the taps when they turn the faucets on? Uh, what do you think we ought to be doing about it? And should this be something that the federal government is addressing and not just leaving to local systems? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. <clears throat> My guests for this segment are Dimple Chowdhury. She is a senior attorney and managing litigator at the National Resources Defense Council. Uh, also with us now is Eric Schwartz. He's an assistant professor of marketing at the Ross School of Business at the University of Michigan. Eric, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. All right, Eric, I'm going to start uh, with uh, you here. Uh, in 2016, University of Michigan researchers developed an algorithm to determine the neighborhoods that are most likely to have lead pipes, and you were one of the researchers. Tell us more about uh, that project. Sure. Well, thanks for asking. The key here was that we recognize that in Flint, and as you've mentioned, other cities, there's a real uncertainty actually about which homes have lead pipes. And and the fact that that's so uncertain, even at the peak of a crisis, should be a bit startling to, mm -hmm. to, to most folks. I had a conversation with someone just the other day about lead pipes here in Detroit and the idea that we don't have any idea which houses in my neighborhood, for instance, have lead pipes and which don't. Yeah, and that's exactly the issue. And, and whether it's in Detroit or, or in other cities that were built a big part in the early to mid-century, 20th century. There was a wide range of materials used. Lead was quite popular. And those construction records, those old historical records, leave a lot to be desired in terms of accuracy. <laughs> they're, they're handwritten. They're waterlogged books. They're, they're just not actually accurate, or they're just missing and mm -hmm. incomplete. And that missing information is what my colleagues at University of Michigan and I really saw. So, so especially my colleague Jake Abernathy, who's now at Georgia Tech, and, and data scientist Jared Webb, we recognized that just that information alone, labeling every home, does this have lead or galvanized steel versus what's considered safer, copper, mm -hmm. service lines, that problem was going to be a many, many, many millions of dollars problem. Yeah. And so we trained our attention on that and used all the data, and, and we're data nerds, we're just <laughs> data scientists here, uh, at, and used all the information we could to try to predict whether a home actually, in fact, had lead-tainted service lines. Yeah, and what you found was that for every 100 homes, and this is in Flint, that the city had the intention of replacing lines, you determined that 82% actually need replacing. That's a big, that's a big number. 
Yeah, and I, I, I love the way that you, you use that language very precisely. I appreciate that. <laughs> that doesn't mean that 82% of the city had lead. Right. Right. That means that the program, when we were working in 2016 and 17, was pretty efficient. So that when they went to try to remove lead and paid mm-hmm. thousands of dollars per crew, per dig, they were finding lead. And unfortunately, we actually have some good information now that says if you don't use statistical models, that number goes down pretty significantly. So you're digging in places that you're finding not uh, lead uh, lines that are not lead. Yeah, and yeah. and there are other ways to do inspections to to get a wide range of information. So to get a a sample of homes that would be representative of the city, and and that's a cheaper inspection. It's not going with the intention of replacing. In that sense, then you want to spread across the whole city. You Mm -hmm. want to look at some of the homes that have copper and have lead and have all materials. But when you're going to replace, you want that hit rate to be as close to 100 as possible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dimple, uh, talk about the work that you've been doing with co-plaintiffs in Flint about uh, lead pipes and the replacement of lead pipes. Uh, Does the city's effort to, to try to finally address this uh, issue impact the, the 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 effectiveness of your suit. In other words, are they doing what you are asking them uh, to do? Um, in large part, they are. You know, the result of our federal lawsuit in Flint that we filed, you know, in partnership with Flint residents and, and community groups, um, was that the city had to replace its lead pipes within three years, and that the state would provide ninety-seven million dollars for that to happen. And so now we're we're ending the the end of the three years of that term. And so we've watched the city, you know, explore inspect twenty-two thousand homes. They've replaced um, around ten thousand lead service lines. And they have, we think, um, based on on Eric and Jake's model and the great work that they've done, we think the city has around 1,500 homes uh, with lead lines that still remain to be excavated and replaced. And so, you know, there are terms in our settlement and the oversight that it provided that allow us to step in if we think the city um, is not executing this program in a health protective way, in a way that's in the best interest of Flint residents. We can't control everything, Mm -hmm. but we've certainly done the best we can to provide a level of oversight to try to um, increase um, confidence in the program and increase the efficacy of the program. Yeah. Uh, Eric, uh, you know, we've had these recent changes to the lead and copper rule. Um, Does that affect the work that you're doing, the research that you guys are doing at U of M? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that health protectiveness, I think that Dimple just mentioned, is really critical. Because if you're thinking about protecting public health here and reducing lead exposure, the big move would be, well, let's reduce the total number of days all residents are living with lead service lines. And the new lead and copper rule in Michigan is really setting that bar high for mm-hmm. other states to follow. And one of the ways that it's doing that is it it is forcing cities, as Dimple said, it was already federal law, but really now enforcing and, and executing this to have inventories. And that really is just information. Mm. So to have home by home actually verify what are the service line materials in these homes and when you find that lead or lead tainted service lines replace them yeah and so what we're really working with the cities and 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 the state the the drinking water group in eagle egle here in michigan is to devise ways to to do just that to, to use the data to use technology and the expertise of folks that have gone through service line replacements before, right. like the one in Flint, like the one in Lansing, 
spread best practices. So, uh, does your research suggest that uh, there are cities that have worse issues with this than we've seen in in Flint. Uh, uh, we hear a lot of people talk about that Flint is kind of the tip of the spear here in terms of uh, what what's going on with, with lead in water and that we just aren't testing in some places well enough to know. Uh, but does your research suggest that we may have bigger problems elsewhere? The, the particular patterns that we're seeing in Flint, we're now seeing in other cities. Um, and that's both at the high level, as, as Dimple was just describing, at, at the legislative and, and the policy and the political level, but also at the data level. We've now looked at data from other cities uh, across the region, Midwest and Northeast in particular. And yeah, it does look pretty similar. Mm. Um, but the common challenge is still that uncertainty. Yeah. And so the scope of the problem, even starting out, how much money should you go and ask your state legislature for? You need to know. You don't know if you don't know how many lead lines you yeah. have. Yeah, and this is a really important point because the federal law in the lead and copper rule actually says you need to remove, set, if you exceed at federal action level on the water quality, then you need to remove 7% of all of the lead service lines that you have. But you don't know how many How you do have. you know? <laughs> right. And, and so it's a bit of an oversight in the legislation mm -hmm. from the lead and copper rule that, that says that. So we really need to revise that, yeah. both at the federal and at the state level. Yeah. We can't just be telling people to dig 7% of an unknown number. Right, right. Uh, Dimple, I, I wonder what you make of uh, the current administration's kind of dismantling of the EPA. Uh, certainly, um, there are, it is a very different agency now than it was just a few years ago. What effect is that having on what you're seeing with clean water in, in cities around the country? I mean, it's, it's deeply, deeply troubling. EPA and state agencies are charged with enforcing the federal laws that protect our drinking water. The Safe Drinking Water Act is there to be enforced by EPA. Um, and when there is a lack of will to empower EPA to do its job, to authorize it, to fund it, um, to do things like run programs that can help with lead service line replacement, provide expertise to local agencies, um, step in when, when something goes wrong and take an active um, enforcement and oversight role, um, it's putting all of us at risk. Mm. Uh, and uh, does that make your work uh, in the courts, uh, for instance, tougher as well? Um, it makes our work both more challenging and also, I think, much more important. Mm. Right now, citizens are the last line of defense. If you don't have the will to enforce or the ability to enforce at the federal level or at the state level, then what we have are citizens who, you know, thankfully, these laws were drafted with, you know, many layers of protection in mind. And so citizens can step in and say, hey, you are not protecting my drinking water. That is what we did in Flint. That's what we're doing in Newark. Um, and that becomes in increasingly important when you have um, failed at the state and federal level. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Eric, I wonder if you can give us an idea of how big a task it would be to apply the work that you did in Flint statewide. In other words, for us to really look into, all right, uh, where are there lead lines that need to be replaced? And we're going to find them all over Michigan. Yeah, we're, we're, we're on that path. Yeah. So uh, through conversations, what we're trying to do is uh, spread the, these best practices. And so with another group at, at the University of Michigan and in the water center there, uh, we're, we're developing really a toolkit uh, in, in conjunction with, with, with the state 
to spread these best practices, both in terms of just what data do you need? What data do you want to collect? And in a perfect world, how would you then use, say, statistical models to, to get best guesses at how many do you have citywide, system-wide, and down to the neighborhood and down mm -hmm. to the home level? And so what we're doing is creating those kind of educational materials. It's one of the things, at least within U of M, that we do okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is, is create materials and educate. And uh, we hope that's one path to spreading. But I would also say that in the absence of bigger federal funding and in the absence of bigger state legislature funding, which all of which should be happening mm -hmm. and really needs to, and it relates to the discussion you were having about roads, mm -hmm. we're all going to pay for that somehow, some way, either as customers or as taxpayers, there's a lot of creativity uh, potential for local authorities, uh, for financing, for finding ways to do cost sharing between customers and, and utility companies and, and public entities, to find ways to create those incentives so that, yeah, there might be a way for a public-private partnership where health protective measures are aligned with the government and also aligned with local business. Okay, Dimple Chowdhury and Eric Schwartz. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Thanks for being here. Thank Thanks you. so much. All right, that's going to do it for me today. Remember that you can join me tonight at 6 p.m. at the Detroit Public Library for the finale of this summer's WDET Book Club reading of What the Eyes Don't See by Dr. Mona Hanna-Atisha. Dr. Mona is going to be there for tonight's conversation, as will Michigan Senate Minority Leader Jim Ananick, who represents Flint. Uh, it should be a really great discussion and a great capper to a summer of wonderful discussions all over Southeast Michigan about water safety, environmental justice, and infrastructure. We hope to see you there tonight. You don't have to pay to go. It is free, but we would love for you to register at WDET.org slash events. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.